Yes, we are continuing in our uh, readings in Colossians. And we are starting, we're still in chapter 1, and we're starting at verse 24 and reading through into chapter 2. So uh, if you've got the church Bible there, it's on page 1182. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul's labour for the church. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by commission. God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that had been hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to all the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature to Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. For all who have not met me, personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Thank you very much, David. It's uh, good to hear God's word. And uh, you might have noticed as we were reading through that that it talks about a number of uh, things. Um, particularly it mentions things like mysteries and uh, various ways of describing treasure uh, and, and all sorts. And just pondering that those things a little bit uh, as I was reading through uh, this passage earlier on in the week. Um, at the moment, we seem to be surrounded by things concerning royalty and, and so on. And I don't know if any of you have watched the programs concerning the crown jewels and all the various treasures that there are. And they're, they're really quite uh, amazing things. And people go out of their way to, to, to find things that are 
uh, uh, that, that are great treasures to them. Um, more of that later. There's also questions about mysteries. One mystery for me was solved last night. I never knew before what the Queen kept in her handbag. Um, if you have no idea what I'm talking uh, about, um, go home and uh, uh, Google the Queen and Paddington Bear and uh, it all will be uh, revealed there. Um, Paul is writing about mysteries and, and, and treasure here. And uh, I want us to uh, unpack this because it really is quite a, a, a precious thing. Uh, what about this mystery bit, first of all? Uh, the secrets. The, the, the word mystery here is it can be translated in different ways. Mystery or secret, something that's not known to, uh, to, to others. Uh, we have all sorts of different uh, ways of looking at mysteries. Uh, some mysteries are things that we just don't know or we don't understand. Uh, I am aware of this thing called gravity. Ask me to explain how gravity works. It is a mystery to me. Even though we talked about it in physics at school, it is still a mystery to me. I do not understand it, but I know it's there. It's very useful stuff, isn't it? Keeps your food on the table when you're eating and uh, your drink in the cup. Um, very messy business if there wasn't gravity. I'm sure it has other uses as well. Um, there's that sort of mystery, things we don't understand. There's also uh, mysteries of things that are kept hidden from us. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, uh, but I'm sure that some of you like watching myst murder mysteries on television or go to the theatre. You know, who done it? And it's always the person that um, is the most unlikely one, isn't it? Um, generally speaking, there's, there's all sorts of different mysteries. What's Paul talking about here? Well, for us to, uh, to understand that, um, if you look in uh, the, the passage which David read to us, uh, Colossians 1, verse 24 onwards, um, you, you see uh, in verse 26, he talks about uh, a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. What's he talking about there? Well, in some senses, we have to go back right to the very beginning because God has a plan for this world. He didn't just create it and say, oh, well that's nice, and then sit back and just watch to see what the rest of us get on with, uh, do with it. He created the world for a purpose and he had a plan. He's working out his plan, working up to his goal, which is to create a people for himself. Uh, and he made known bits of this plan over the years through people like the prophets in the Old Testament uh, and revealed so much of his purposes and plans. But it came in chunks and uh, the people of the day didn't ever really join the dots together. Or maybe they joined the dots together in the wrong order. D uh, if you don't know this joining the dots thing, there used to be a thing, I don't know, they still do them. Do, uh, do, do they still have join the dot pictures. Oh yeah, I'm looking at the experts at the back there. They do, so yeah. Um, that's John, if you want an expert in joining the dots. Um, yeah, so I, I remember doing one of these puzzles, you know, joining you know, one, two, three, four, and expected to find something like a cat at the end of it. But it, it looked more like an elephant because I misread the numbers at one point and went shooting off to the side and then came back and this poor old cat's nose suddenly became a lot longer. Uh, that than was intended. 
And, and I think there was a certain amount of that going on in, in Old Testament times, that, that the dots were there, but they weren't necessarily connected together. Uh, some things, that they, that the prophets never really joined things up. Some things left uh, were unfulfilled, and so people didn't actually know what it was speaking of. And then in the fullness of time, things were revealed. And particularly when Jesus Christ came into this world uh, in fulfillment of so many of these prophecies, uh, it was, uh, there must have been many light bulb moments for people at that time because they had been looking forward to a king who was going to come. God had revealed this to them through the prophecy. A king was going to come and they thought, right, okay, we need a king. We haven't got a king. We're being ruled by the Romans. We don't want to be ruled by the Romans. Therefore, God's going to give us a king. Bye-bye, Romans. Now, you and I know that something very different to that happened because the king that God was bringing was not just a king to get rid of Romans and who was going to sit on a throne in a place called Jerusalem and, uh, and rule over a little country. But he was going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords going to be revealed as such in all his glory at some point and you could just imagine that as these things became apparent as Jesus taught them and they started joining all the dots together there would have been many people going oh yes it, it comes to something when folk like ourselves some 2,000 years later actually understand all the dots joined together much more than than many of the people did in, in Jesus' day. But in that sense, the secret was being unraveled. The mystery was being revealed. And not only that, uh, it was being extended. If you go back to uh, Colossians um, and uh, chapter 2, uh, sorry, Colossians chapter 1, uh, again, um, Verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Uh, the Gentiles there is referring to all those who weren't Jews. It's another way of saying the nations. The Jews had this idea because God had particularly chosen their race to be a means by which he would reveal his purposes and his patterns to the world. Uh, tended to think of themselves as being rather special. Everybody else was the Gentiles, uh, that, that they weren't worthy of anything. And they'd, they'd missed that particular dot in the pattern that said that the Jews were to be a light to the nations. There was even a bit designed into their temple where people who were non-Jews could go and worship God. I don't think the Jews really understood the significance of that, and they turned it into a marketplace. That was the bit that Jesus uh, turned out all the money changers and market traders there. It, uh, another part of this mystery that was being revealed was that God was concerned about the rest of the world, not just one small group of people in the Middle East, but going out to the all the nations and he started to reveal this mystery through people like Paul we'll come back to Paul's place in this uh, a little bit later it's we talk about secrets and mysteries but there's no secret it's been revealed the mystery has been solved it's, it's been revealed and who did it it was God as we've just been reading uh, 
I'm looking in the wrong version of the Bible here. Um, again, verse uh, 26. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. God is revealing it all to us. And he is sending people like Paul to declare it uh, to the world. What is this mystery? Well, let's just read on a little bit further in verse 27 there. The glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ is the mystery that has been revealed. He is the secret that has been revealed. He is the one who has foretold. It, it's an open secret. There's nothing to be kept secret now. It has been declared to all nations. In the days when Paul was writing this, it seems very likely that there were groups of uh, men going around teaching that it was possible to know a, a special inner secret that was only known to a few chosen people. Um, and it, you know, if you wanted to know it, you had to become one of them. You had to join them. You still find groups like that today, you know, rather exclusive and, and secretive. The Bible wasn't like that. But I've got two separate versions of it here, printed on paper. Uh, and you know, some of you've got it in your hand, and some of you've got it on, on your phones. And it's published as one of the best-selling books in the world. It's not a secret anymore. God has been revealing it to the whole of the world. But the secret contained in it is Jesus Christ, the one who is both God and man, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the Son who came into this world to reveal God to us, who came into this world to suffer and to die, to bear our punishment and our shame. He came into this world to suffer and to die for us and then rose again so that we too can have life. We talk here, Paul mentions the, the phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what does that mean? It's, it, it, it contains so much in it, doesn't it? What's implied in that? Well, that the hope means that there's something in the future that we can look forward to. Glory, well, I'm sure that most of you are thinking at this point, heaven. It's something much more than certainly this world has to offer. It's the hope of glory. It's implied in it as our salvation. How can we be saved? Well, by being forgiven, being cleansed from all our sins, being acceptable by, uh, accepted by God. And we can't make ourselves acceptable because, okay, we've sinned against him. We've fallen short of what we should be. You say, well, I'll try my hardest, but no, it won't. you'll never succeed in being perfect. And it doesn't change the fact that you haven't been perfect already. You're a sinner. Even if you could somehow ma uh, uh, manage to survive the rest of your life without having a single sin sinful thought, sinful action, uh, ungodly desire or, or whatever, you know that's impossible. But even if you were to manage it, it doesn't change the fact what you've done already. We sin because we are sinners and we need God to save us. We need God in Jesus Christ. He sent his son to do it for us. So implied in this hope of glory is our salvation, our forgiveness, our being cleansed from all unrighteousness, of being adopted into his family. Paul writes about that in Ephesians chapter 1. We become children of God, uh, a spiritual rebirth, born again into a living hope. 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What a glorious thing that is. And it talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not some remote sort of deity who you know, we can paint pictures about and, and, and pass on wise messages about. He's actually living within us. If we are believers, he is with us and in us. And this is part of what Paul describes as this immense riches, this treasure that is this mystery, the secret that's now been revealed. And it's all centered in Christ. Nothing that you need to add to it, nothing you can add to it. If you try to add to it, you might even subtract from it because Christ is all we need. That's the overriding heading or something, <laughs> words to that effect, of this series. I can't remember, what, what was the phrase we actually chose for this series? Christ, Christ is all you need. I got that right. I got that bit, didn't I? Yeah, good. we're on the same page here. Uh, everything is centered in Christ. If you have Christ, you have it all. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? The riches of glory, the hope of glory. Uh, Jesus told a little parable uh, about the kingdom of heaven. Um, Matthew uh, chapter 13. Um, bear with me while I find it. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Okay, the kingdom of heaven, our life with God. It's like a, a, a treasure being found in a field. If you know that there's treasure there, uh, you, you would, he's saying you go and uh, buy the field, you sell everything you've got, which maybe doesn't amount to very much, in order to get so much more. And this treasure that we speak of uh, in, in Jesus is uh, vastly better than anything we might find in the world. Please can I just mention that I don't think it's a good idea to go around digging holes in your neighbor's gardens to see if they've got treasure and then trying to buy their house. I don't think the law works quite the same way in this country as it does in, uh, in other parts of the world. I may be mistaken there, but I don't suggest it's a good idea. But you get the idea. Treasure is something we seek after. And this is the best, best, best treasure of all. Vastly better than anything that you have in this world. Because it's eternal. It's la uh, valuable. It doesn't perish, spoil or fade like earthly treasure does. And so much of earthly treasure is just something you think actually, when you, when you think what it is, it may just be something that's beautiful. What makes gold so special that people will go and dig huge holes in South Africa to dig it out? Or diamonds. Some of the, 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 the mines in South Africa go down hundreds and hundreds of meters. Or even just the pits that they dig in the, in the ground rather than uh, tunnels and so on. Enormous because people just desire these things. At the end of the day, it's just a bit of metal. At the end of the day, it's a, a, a stone. And so often it's the beauty. Sometimes there are, th there are practical things. Diamonds can be used in industry and so on. But the really expensive ones, the sort of things that, uh, that we turn into jewellery, at the end of the day, 
You going to take it with you to heaven? Billy Graham used to have this little phrase in, in his uh, sermons he, he would repeat, saying, you never see uh, a removals van in a funeral procession. You can't take the stuff with you. But here we have a treasure that lasts. Well, moving on, Paul is making this secret known. It, it, it is his calling. You see how uh, in uh, verses 24 and 25, he's talking about the way, not only that he suffers, we'll come back to that in a moment, uh, he suffers for th th this ministry, but God has given, his, uh, given him this ministry uh, to go and tell people about Jesus. Uh, again, in, uh, where are we? Yes, v verse 25, it's to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Or in the ESV, it reads, make the word of God fully known. Verse 28, we proclaim Jesus to present everyone perfect in Christ. What does that mean? Perfect in Christ? Uh, if you look in, uh, that, that's what I think it says in the uh, NIV and the ESV, it says mature in Christ. The word that Paul uses uh, in the original language, uh, it, it doesn't, when it says perfect, it doesn't mean moral perfection. It means completeness. You know, a bit like when you do a jigsaw, you know, you cover your dining room table so you have to eat off your lap for a day and a half uh, and you, you piece it all together and you get to the final piece, it goes into place and there's nothing missing and you haven't got a picture of a baked bean in the middle of a, uh, the Niagara Falls and you know you haven't got them muddled up. It's all, it's, it's finished. And you say, perfect. And you don't mean that it's without spot or blemish. It's, it's a picture with lots of cuts all over it but it's complete, perfect. And that's the sense in which Paul is using this word and th th the idea of talking about people being mature in Christ. Um, yeah, that's another way of, of expressing it. But it's, you have to understand that in Christ, you have been made complete. The picture has been completed, nothing else to add. You don't become a Christian and think, okay, right, what do I do next on my uh, journey to heaven? There's nothing else you need to do in terms of finding salvation, in terms of finding peace with God, having a relationship with him. There's much more that he calls you to do uh, and, and shares his life with you and so on uh, and ca calls you into service in, in different ways. But it doesn't change your eternal destination doesn't change your salvation. In Christ, you have everything, and you're made complete in him. There is a sense in which the moral perfection is imparted to you uh, as well, in that he declares you not guilty because Jesus has taken your punishment on the cross. There's also the, the, the fact that in the future, you will be made perfect, that when you get to heaven, You'll be given new bodies. You no longer have a sinful nature. Sin and suffering and everything else will be a thing of the past. And you know that you're going to be like that. So he has, in fact, given you that. It's just not yet. While you live in this world, you still have your faults and your failings, but not forever. He is presenting people complete uh, in Jesus Christ. And then moving on into... Uh, uh, I finish that bit? Yeah, moving on into chapter 2, 
um, in uh, verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's just unpick that one a little bit. Again, I, I find it fascinating. Uh, I mentioned already, I've got two different versions of the Bible open here. Uh, and they translate these verses in slightly different ways. Um, and if you look at other versions, there's, there's other variations. Some of you in, a, in our small group know that I, I have a thing about this. That When I find that different versions translate things differently, I want to know why. Because I think that, that means that there's something to be learnt. You take a, a word in Greek and try and translate it into English, and sometimes you need several words in English to make it work, a, a proper translation. And so uh, when I find a, a difference, say, between the NIV and the ESV, I always think, oh, that's exciting. I, want to I need to get out more, I know. But I, I find it exciting uh, that, that there may be something to, to be learnt from comparing the versions. Let's do it on these verses because there's quite a few of them. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. That word united is translated in uh, other versions as knit together. That's really uniting, isn't it? You think you can talk about being united, particularly people are being united, in the sense that you can be united in certain things, but actually under the surface there may be all sorts of disunity. You know, people running a race together, uh, you know, heading off down the 100 metres course. And they're all going the same direction, doing the same thing. They're united in their purpose at that point, which is to win. But if you'd ask them perhaps afterwards how united they are in terms of their relationships with each other, probably one of them is feeling a bit miffed that he didn't come first and all the grumblings and complaints. And maybe they just hate each other's guts anyway. Churches are not quite as bad as that, really. But there's a sort of sense of unity that, that can go much deeper than that. The idea of being knit together. I'm, I'm looking around, at s seeing one or two jumpers with patterns and so on, which implies that, that there may be different colour wool knitted together. And, you know, it, the, the two become one as they are, that they are knit like that. You, you cut one of those coloured threads and the whole thing can start unravelling. You think of that as a picture of unity within a church. One person is out of step. It can start unravelling the whole of the relationships. Paul is uh, saying, my goal is that they may be encouraged and knit together in love. He goes on, NIV says, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. If you look at other versions, I think the authorised version, the old King James talks there about of complete, uh, instead of saying complete understanding, it talks about full assurance of understanding. I think that might be in the ESV as well. Yes, full assurance of understanding. What's the difference between complete understanding and full assurance? Well, complete understanding might just mean that you know everything. You, you've got it all sorted out up here. Full assurance of understanding is deeper than that. It's the difference of uh, saying, I know everything and it means everything to me. 
it means that here you've got knowledge which isn't just up here in the mind, but it touches the heart and the soul. It governs the way in which we act. It, it changes the way that we relate to people. It changes the way we view God. A full assurance of understanding. And that word assurance carries with it something that brings comfort and certainty and hope. It's much deeper than just simply knowing something up here. Precious though that might be as well. So that they may have the, the riches of full assurance of understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Knowing Christ is, is wonderful. Knowing about him is precious, but knowing him is wonderful. Again, the word know there gets translated differently in the King James Version, where there it talks about acknowledge the mystery of God, namely Christ. Acknowledge. Again, that's something uh, that, uh, different again, isn't it? Um, that it's, it's not, not just knowing about, it's acknowledging, saying, yeah, I recognize him for who he is. I acknowledge that this, this truth, this fact, has something precious and exciting that can change my life. It moves it from just an academic study to a treasure that is revealed to us, that is given to us. The mystery of, uh, of, of knowing the, the, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mentioned earlier on this, uh, that the possibility that there were people around saying that you, there's special knowledge that you can get if you're one of those select people. Um, that if you come and join them, all will be revealed. And sometimes those groups will actually hide the truth from their followers because they don't want to be caught out. Um, go back to the Middle Ages and to the church then that was corrupt and had lost sight of the, uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things which they were frightened of doing was letting the ordinary people have the Bible in their own language so they could read it or hear it being read for themselves and make up their own mind. They wanted to keep it uh, only to a certain group of people, the priests who would know everything that they, they need to tell the, the rest of us. And one of the things that drove the Reformation when uh, the, the gospel was rediscovered was people being able to see and hear in their own language so they could understand it that what the Bible said was not necessarily what they'd been taught over the years. In Christ, nothing is hidden. He is the, uh, uh, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It says in our version, it, in him are hidden, but in him are contained all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Know Christ and that repository of understanding, of knowledge, and wisdom is unlocked for you. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Uh, I'm going to pinch, unashamedly pinch one of Colin's um, uh, uh, illustrations here because I think it's, it's quite nice. And it's one of them that I remember 
because it, it just appeals to me. He said, uh, it says that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. I don't know, maybe you do. But uh, um, yeah, difference between wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he's wanting to tell them these things, and he's writing to this book, verse 4, writing this book too, in this letter. He's wanting to write to them, uh, and he gives a reason why he's writing. It's so that no one may deceive you or delude you. You know, when you read the rest of the, the, of the book, that's one of his main goals, one of his main reasons, that they might not be misled by false teaching and so on. Just before come back to looking at Paul himself and what he writes about himself here, th there was just one little verse here as I was going through this that caught me a little bit by surprise. Um, and that's verse 5 of chapter 2. I just read it over. Someone said something uh, in our small group this week, and I can't remember which of the men it was. So apologies that I wasn't really concentrating on who you were, but I was actually quite... I had this, uh, the, the, this passage in my mind because I've been preparing the sermon during the day. And uh, somebody said, uh, talked about orderliness. Now we've got in the NIV that was read to us, verse 5, um, that he delights to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Um, the ESV translates that as, Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The older version of the NIV uses orderly, uh, uh, how orderly you are. And it's, it's strange, if you're going to talk about how wonderful a church is, you might describe their faithfulness or, or how uh, diligent they are. I wonder if you'd say, oh, it's a great church, they're very orderly there. Uh, you know, they're very seemingly well organized or something like that. How disciplined they are. Would, would you really sort of be wanting to commend a church to your friends, writing on Facebook or whatever. Ah, I went to this wonderful church on holiday. It was so orderly. Would you, would you think of that? What, what um, made me think a bit more about it was just an off-the-cuff uh, 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 off comment made by one of the men in the uh, small group where it talked about Christian lives being orderly. I'd always read that and not really taken much notice of it because I thought about people behaving themselves in church and not sort of shouting out and you know, being a bit disruptive or something like that. But actually, I think it's more to do with the orderliness of our lives. Because we have these riches of wisdom and knowledge, it therefore changes the way in which we live. And it transforms people's lives into something that is orderly because it's ordered by God. He is our designer. He is the one who, who made us. He is the one who knows what's good for us. He is the one who has given us so much wisdom and knowledge that we might live our lives properly. People who live without God and pay little attention to what he says often live their lives in the form of anarchy, just doing what they feel like, whatever takes their, uh, their, their mood. You, know, you and I, might, as Christians, might go into a shop and... You know, if, if there isn't someone to serve you, we don't immediately think, oh, I can take what I want and walk out and not pay. We would think, oh, I've got to pay. Where, where are they? And a lot of other people do as well, don't they? But there are people living <laughs> disordered lives who would say, oh, great. They can't be bothered to take my money. I'll take their goods. Or people in the way in which they 
deal with their relationships. Just do whatever they fancy. It's anarchy. And we find the, uh, the, the distressing disorders that come out of that, of a disordered life. The wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ that gets imparted to us through reading the scriptures by the work of the Holy Spirit and sanctification brings an order to our lives and to the order of our community as a church. That was by the by, that was a little red herring, which I just happened to notice. And um, if you want to blame anyone, blame one of those men in our, uh, in our men's group, uh, in our small group, for having just said something that set my mind going. Uh, let's go back to Paul. Paul is suffering. He's in prison as he writes this. And, you know, he talks about this uh, suffering. Going back to chapter 1, verse 24. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. You might say at this point, hang on, you and Nathan have been saying for weeks that this is all about Christ being everything. And now Paul is saying uh, that he's, um, he's filling up in his flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's aff afflictions. So was there something missing in Christ? Not really. It's what Paul is doing. I think there's two, say, two ways that you can uh, understand this. Do you remember when Paul, then called Saul, uh, before he was converted, he went around seeking to persecute Christians, to arrest them, to put them in prison, even to see them killed. And uh, he was persecuting the church. On the road to Damascus, where he was going to do some more of that, Jesus revealed himself uh, to, to, to Saul. Bright, shining light, Saul falls to the ground, and the voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? And in some senses, Paul's suffering, uh, as Paul is suffering himself, it's still persecution of Jesus that is going on. Jesus is suffering as Paul suffers. It's all part of the work of the church. But there's also the sense in which we suffer because we're following Christ. And if we're going to follow Christ, then we can expect, when he suffered, to also suffer with him. And part of the, uh, the mandate, the mission given to the church is to go and make him known to the nations. That's what Paul says here uh, about the, uh, the ministry, uh, the, 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 the mystery. Mystery known, hidden for ages, verse 26, but now revealed to his saints. To them, that's you and me. It's not special people called saints. We are the saints. We are uh, God's chosen ones. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you. In other words, that is part of the work that we are called to do. That's what Jesus has asked us to do. And we suffer because of that. But our suffering means that others will have that treasure. <coughs> treasure is a wonderful thing. I have 
treasure in my pocket today. I don't often carry money with me these days. Those bits of plastic seem to work just as well. Um, but I actually have £1.40 in my pocket. Ooh, I'm rich today. Uh, I've got four 20p coins here. Hmm. I've got four grandchildren over there. Now, what are, what are they thinking at this point? Grace, would you like to just come over here? I'm not going to ask you to do anything apart from take some money off me. So if you'd like, just come up here. <laughs> right. I'm going to give you four 20p coins, and you're going to share them out with your four sisters, so one each. Okay, so um, there you go. You do that. And this isn't a trick. I'm not going to ask for it back afterwards, but make sure you give one to each of your sisters. Um, Mummy and Daddy, I hope that's okay. <laughs> uh, it's not worth very much. You, you'll get a, uh, about a, a mouthful of a Mars bar each for 20p. Uh, so it's not, not very much. But the trouble is now, I haven't got £1.20 anymore. I've got 40p. Where's my treasure gone? Oh, I gave Grace 80p. But how much have you got left now? 20p. Have you given it all to the others? Earthly treasures like that. If you've got treasure and you give it away, then you haven't got it anymore. Not so the treasure of God. It's a treasure that keeps on giving. Paul had this treasure. It had set him free. Christ had given him salvation, had given him new life, eternal life, with God forever. And then he told other people about it. And he wasn't sitting there saying, oh, I haven't got it anymore. I gave it away. It's a treasure that keeps on growing. It's multiplied again and again and again. Paul had a real passion that this life be given. And you see what I did there? Passion for life, you know? Um, there's a hint there. He was passionate about people knowing Jesus. He saw the treasure that he had and he wanted to give it away. What about us? This is the task that he's given us to do. Two different types of people here this evening, possibly. Speak to the Christians first and say, you've got a wonderful treasure. Don't keep it to yourself. Some people in this world go to an awful lot of heartache and pain and suffering to go and dig diamonds out of the ground or, or make a fortune wor at work or whatever. This is something that's been given to you. Our suffering comes in passing it on to others, not getting it for ourselves. That's the calling that God has for us. And awaiting ahead of us is the hope of glory. So what is there to lose? The most precious things are ours already in Jesus Christ. Maybe there are some here uh, that don't yet know Jesus Christ. They can't say, I've got the hope of glory in me, which is Christ. You're hearing about it this evening. We're not keeping it secret from you. And it's a wonderful thing. We want to share it with you. Y we want you to know it. We want you to have this treasure as well. What do you do? You call out to God and you ask him for forgiveness. You ask him to, you acknowledge that you actually need help. That there is no hope without him. And ask him to give you this treasure. Eternal life and forgiveness and peace. In Jesus Christ, ask him to come and save you. You don't have to have fancy, prairie sounding words and so on. Just ask for God's help. Talk to him as you would talk to him 
uh, anyone else here, but be open and honest with him and ask him. Let's just pray, and I'm going to hand back to Nathan then. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us a, a wonderful treasure kept in heaven for us. Thank you for Jesus, who suffered and died for us, came into this world and, and in love gave everything. The suffering servant that we were hearing about this morning. Lord, we thank you that you have done this for us. And you've given us the most precious things that have ever existed. Lord, help us to treasure them in our hearts and in our minds, to acknowledge them in our lives, to hold fast to them, not just to fill our minds with knowledge and wisdom, but to know you. Lord, help us, we pray. Amen.